This audio was recorded during a one-day workshop titled Pursuing a Mission Lifestyle Through Gospel Communities. All right, let's pray before we begin. Our Father in Heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be together. And we pray that you would meet with us and that you would instruct us. We ask this confident that you will, not because of ourselves, but because of you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lightweight insert in your booklet. If you want to follow along, you may. I'm going to begin with the paragraphs on the back of that from a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And uh, he says this. Whether we like it or not, the moment we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is, from that time, from the time we become a Christian, we are at the same time a member of the Christian church, even if we do not permit our name to be placed on a church roll, even if we refuse to identify ourselves with a particular congregation and share responsibilities with them, even if we absent ourselves from the worship of a congregation. Our membership in the church is a corollary to our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess Christ as Lord. It is not an option for those Christians who happen by nature to be more gregarious than others. It is part of the fabric of redemption. There are Christians, of course, who never put their names down on a membership list. There are Christians who refuse to respond to the call to worship each Sunday. There are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. But if they are genuinely saved people, they are members all the same, whether they like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. For God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true. Intimate, yes. But private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. But of course, the fact we are a family of faith does not mean we are one big happy family. The people we encounter as brothers and sisters in faith are not always nice people. They do not stop being sinners the moment they begin believing in Christ. They don't steadily metamorphose into brilliant conversationalists, exciting companions, and glowing inspirations. Some of them are cranky. Some of them dull. And others, if the truth must be spoken, a drag. But at the same time, our Lord tells us that they are brothers and sisters in faith. If God is my father, then this is my family. So the question is not, am I going to be a part of a community of faith, but how am I going to live in this community of faith? God's children do different things. Some run away from it and pretend that the family doesn't exist. Some move out and get an apartment on their own from which they return to make occasional visits, nearly always showing up for parties and bringing a gift to show that they really do hold the others in fond regard. And some would never dream of leaving but cause others to dream it for them. For they are always criticizing what is served at the meals, quarreling with the way the housekeeping is done, and complaining that the others in the family are either ignoring or taking advantage of them. And some, determined to find out what God has in mind by placing them in this community called the church, learn how to function in it harmoniously and joyously, and develop the maturity that is able to share and exchange God's grace with those who might otherwise be viewed as nuisances. And then on the front, Psalm 133, it's very short. How good... And pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It's like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It's like the Jew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, 
For there, the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. I just want to talk for a little bit about Psalm 133. Those verses at the top of that page begins with this call to pay attention. Many of your uh, English Bible translations will begin with the word behold or look. Uh, It's a Hebrew word that isn't always translated, uh, but always has an emphasis in the sentence. And so some translations like the Holman Christian Standard have an exclamation point, but not the word. But it's still calling us to attention, to pay attention. And, And what does it say about this idea? It says that it's good. Unity is good in God's people. Uh, The word conveys both moral goodness and also situational goodness. Um, It was a good game. Uh, I got a good deal. Um, I've been on good behavior. If unity is good, then disunity is bad. Some things aren't as clear in the Bible, but this is one that is. Like the creation, which was all very good at the beginning, it's good to live in unity. But secondly, it's pleasant. It's good and it's pleasant. Sometimes things that are good don't seem pleasant. I liked it when our children were young because we often would have family-friendly foods. I mean, kid-friendly foods. Um, in other words, not very many green vegetables. Now my kids are older and they like green vegetables, and so I'm sometimes the picky eater. Because there are some things that maybe they're good, but not very pleasant. Maybe for you it's kale or Brussels sprouts or broccoli. I like Brussels sprouts and broccoli. I don't like kale. Sometimes things that are good aren't pleasant. And sometimes things that seem pleasant, especially the pursuit of the world, aren't good. But this thing that's talked about in Psalm 133 is both good and pleasant. It's both morally right and it's enjoyable. And what is that thing? I've already mentioned it, but the verse tells us there in the first verse. is for brothers to live together in unity, to, to dwell, to be together. Psalm 133 is one of the Psalms of Ascent, thought to be sung, uh, written for when the, the Old Testament saints went to Jerusalem, went to their assembly for worship. But they were only required to go three times a year. It's, it's one thing to get along for a short visit. It's one thing to get along for an hour on the Lord's Day morning and maybe another hour on the Lord's Day evening. But this Psalm says more than that. It talks about living together. You've perhaps heard that relatives are like fish. They both start to smell after three days. This psalm is talking about overcoming that. It's something entirely beyond just getting along for Sunday worship. That we live together in unity. And I find it interesting that Holman uh, translates the word there as harmony. Unity, of course, is to be one. Harmony is to be in agreement and the word carries both ideas. It has this idea of togetherness. It's, uh, we might literally translate for brothers to live together together. Um, it, it doesn't use a word that's strictly um, um, translated as unity. But we want to be in agreement in heart and mind. Agreement in convictions. Agreed in how we practice and live the Christian life. Like it's a great blessing. If the critics say about the church, you're all alike. It shows that God's doing something. And it's the communion that we share together. Notice at the bottom of the page, 
the chapter from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It talks about the communion of the saints, and it doesn't mean the Lord's Supper that we celebrate on occasion. All saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, and have fellowship with him in his grace, sufferings, death, resurrection, glory. United to one another in love, the saints have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are under obligation to perform such duties, public and private, as promote their mutual good in both spiritual and temporal concerns. By their profession in Christ, saints are committed to maintain a holy fellowship and communion. And it goes on to describe what that looks like. Manchester United is perhaps one of the most famous football clubs. Uh, Soccer, if you're from uh, uh, Australia or the United States. And when it was given its current name, uh, consideration was given to Manchester Central and Manchester Celtic. And uh, Louis Rocca, a young immigrant from United, said, from Italy, said, gentlemen, why don't we call ourselves Manchester United? And so that's what they're known as, or even Man United. And people want to be part of Man United. Do we want to be part of Brothers United, of Church United? Well, if we do, where does this come from? The psalm uh, tells us two things. One is we work at it. We work at it. Brothers dwell in unity. There's a sense of active living together in unity. Ephesians 4 tells us that the saints are to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It can be difficult. It can be difficult to be part of the family of God, as the the quotes there from um, Peterson's book mention. Benjamin was at a Christian Union dinner last night at uni and was speaking with some um, Chinese students who were there. And they got to talking about siblings. And when they heard he had five siblings, one of them said, I don't think having that many siblings is a good idea. Because you have to share all your stuff and you fight all the time. Well, Benjamin tried to communicate some of the benefits of having siblings, but... Their experience was that it would be difficult to have siblings, and sometimes it is difficult to have siblings in the church. It's not necessarily an easy, automatic thing, but it's something that God calls us to work at. And I'm hopeful that we're going to get some tools today on working at that. But then secondly, how do we get it? The Lord gives it. Verses 2 and 3 especially make that clear. The Lord gives it just as he commanded the anointing oil, that precious Holy, flowing, anointing oil that was poured out on Aaron's head. It was, pre- it was precious. It was the good stuff. It was held for a special occasion of God's required anointing, particularly of the priests and the kings. And it was holy. It was set apart. And when we live in unity, it shows that we're set apart. It's when we fight and bicker that we look just like the world, Paul says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, you're like mere men. We, we used to have hamsters, little Chinese dwarf hamsters. And I think at one point we had 27 in the house. And they fought and bickered all the time. They chewed on each other and sometimes even killed each other. We don't want the church to look like that. And so God pours out this holy anointing oil But also in that picture of the priest being anointed, we have to look forward and think about Christ, our great high priest, 
The one who broke down the barrier between Jew and Gentile, between people and God, between each of us as he brought us together. And we have to think about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all believers as the agent of unity. Again, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, 3, preserve the unity, be diligent to preserve the unity through uh, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. But then the second image that's there in verse two is that uh, verse three is the Jew on Hermon. And the Lord gives unity just as he only brings Jew on the mountain, a refreshing, transferring Jew. When I was a boy delivering newspapers, I didn't like Jew on the grass because I always got my shoes wet. But you live in a land of drought. You appreciate that refreshing moisture. And you live in a world of me. You learn to appreciate the refreshing unity that God brings to his church. The image here is Mount Hermon's Jew flowing down even onto Mount Zion. Mount Hermon, about 2,500 meters Mount Zion, just about 750 meters. And the the image is that Jew transferring, flowing. Unity is contagious, as is disunity. And what comes with this unity? Verse 3 tells us it's the Lord's appointed blessing. The Lord brings his appointed blessing. He commands it. God's blessing isn't gained by our effort. It isn't automatic. It's by the appointment or the command of God. But that means we can expect that God would bless the things that he calls us to do. And we need to pray for the Lord to command his blessing in our congregations, in our gospel communities, by showering us with his blessing. And then the last thing that comes with it there at the end of the verse is eternal life. In the context of brothers living in unity, the psalmist reminds us about eternal life. And it's it's ironic. That sometimes we don't want to be with each other as fellow Christians, and yet we'll spend eternity together. Now, I wish we lived back in the olden days before we all had cars and could drive to the church of our choosing. I think it would have been in some ways harder and in some ways easier when we didn't have another place to go. We had to learn to get along with the Christians that God put us with. But I think it's still a good thing to work at and to learn. To live together in unity, remembering that we'll spend eternity forever. Not always easy. But we want to ask ourselves as we read this, as we sing it, am I willing to live by faith through Christ in unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ because it's good and it's pleasing both to me and to God? Am I willing to live in unity by faith through Christ? Because it's good and pleasing to us and to our Lord. This audio is provided as a free ministry of the McKinnon Reformed Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, Australia. Visit our website at mckinnonrp.org.au. Thank you for listening.